call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode 39 of Call It Friendo, the podcast where two friends watch a film decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself and DJ Richie and my co-host Donna and watched 2017's Paddington 2. As always, this podcast contains spoilers for the film right from the start. Check out JustWatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. Please follow Call It Friendo podcast on Instagram, like the Facebook page, leave a review on iTunes or any or all of the above. Please send any questions or recommendations to callitfriendopodcast at gmail.com or send us a DM on Instagram. Now remember, if we're kind and polite, the world will be right. What have you been watching? Well, seeing as I am in quarantine here in the United Kingdom, I'm on day seven of uh, a 10 day. I'm doing a 10 day stint. I have watched a ton of stuff. Yeah, you've put I've got me to a number shame of this things. Week. I got a number of things I rewatched. These are all things that were on Amazon Prime, basically things I could stick on and not give my full attention to. Uh, there are also things I originally watched in the cinema. First one is the Lego Movie 2, the second part. Not as good as the first one, but carries on the typical Lord Miller meta comedy that makes up all their films. The songs are written by John Lajoie from The League, and they're all solid. You mm. haven't seen this film, right? No, no, I haven't. But um, the Lego movie, the original, is um, one of those films, much like the first Paddington, which we'll discuss today a little bit as well, that ranks for me as a true surprise when I saw it first. I went to see mm. it with my, my um, co-manager in a restaurant. We went along to it uh, just because we sometimes like to get inebriated and build Legos together. And we went along to the Lego movie. And uh, I just recall both of us like elbowing each other furiously 10 minutes in to as if to signify, I cannot, I cannot believe how good this is. That's how good the first Lego yeah. movie is. The first Lego movie is fantastic. It's amazingly good. I think all of Lord and Miller's films have that quality, except for the one they got fired off of Solo. I still haven't watched that. I fell asleep in the cinema, so I should probably rewatch it because the final third is uh, is a bit of a mystery to me. Anyway, the next thing that I saw was uh, Alan Partridge Alpha Papa, which we've discussed not that long ago. Solid. I remember not loving. I remember not loving Alpha Papa the first time I saw it, but my god, I was laughing like a lunatic this time throughout. I could legitimately put that on right now and enjoy it immediately. Yeah, I think I've seen that. Uh, two or three times and uh, i certainly remember when i saw it in the cinema there was it, just because it was a small cinema room it was packed enough for there to be what i'll call like a borat like effect like people were just losing their minds at how funny it was and it's got all range of alan funny like it's got funny little references and it's got the time he crawls out the window and you see his bomb and you know <laughs> which is hilarious how slow that scene moves it's very very good <laughs> God, I love that movie. Must watch it again. Yeah, I I think it's a, it might actually get better for me every time I watch it. Then I'm looking forward it's to the quality. next time. So closing out the uh, comedy trio, the third thing I watched was Austin Powers and Goldmember. I think Goldmember is unfairly maligned. It's usually remembered as the worst Austin Powers film, probably because Mike Myers tended to reuse the same jokes, mm. which became a big rating for people. Admittedly, stuff like Dr. Evil and Mini-Me doing Hard Knock Life does not hold up well because the joke is essentially white guys doing hip hop, which yeah, yeah, <laughs> almost yeah. twenty years later is a bit shit. But 
overall, like it's just wall to wall gags. I really enjoyed it. It's a it it it's a throwback to a time when comedies were just balls balls to the wall comedy. Yeah, I've uh, only very fond memories, particularly, uh, and I re- recall seeing this character referred to as the annoying addition, but. I think I I think everything the character Goldmember says and does in that film is fucking hilarious. <laughs> he saves his yes. skin. It's 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 unbelievable. And he has this thing with what a, a smoking a pancake, piping a crepe. Yeah, I think I actually quoted the character when we watched uh, Michael Ritchie's Bad News Bears, <laughs> when he says Bad News Bears, Walter Matthau. Yeah. Which I enjoy his references to 1970s film and then muttering the names of actors under his breath. I respect that. <laughs> I didn't. Even, well, you you've recently watched Goldmember, so you'd be able to do the yeah. full circle with that reference. But mm-hmm. it, that is certainly something I would have just uh, put down to inconsequential mumbling. What else have you been watching? I watched three films that are connected for different reasons. Two of them because Tom Cruise plays shite bag characters who grow over the course of the film, and two of them because they feature repeating time loops. So first of all, Edge of Tomorrow, which I think might be the best non-video game video game adaptation. I can't think of a film that better captures the experience of improving at a computer game. Oh wow! It doesn't yeah. take itself, nor does Cruise take himself too seriously. And he's funny all the way through. The only letdown for me is the final showdown, which is a bit of a murky mess. Yeah, it's and, it's uh, it's not that visually exciting as the rest of the film. Yeah, it's hard to know what the... I mean, it, at the point when what they're is no happening? longer yeah, looping yeah. time. Yeah, once they're no longer looping time, I'm like, eh, I don't really care anymore. Yeah, I couldn't agree. I like the time loop bits. Couldn't agree more. But, like, the time... like. Basically, they had to put a conclusion on the film. I'm sure, like, the rest of the film is so good. I'm sure even the fucking directors know that. <laughs> like, that the end was a letdown. Yeah. My God, that's a great film. Well, yeah, of course, it was uh, directed by friend of the show, Doug Lyman, who, but he's actually he's still not dead. alive. He's, he's not dead, but he's, an, he's a friend of the show because he also directed Lockdown. That's right, that's the, the right. The fantastic Lockdown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so the second of the Cruise shitebag films was War of the Worlds. That's uh, good. Cruise plays, yeah, it's pretty solid. Uh, I don't think it's aged that well. Cruise plays a deadbeat divorced father who knows nothing about his kids. It seems like a bit of a weird Spielberg choice again. In, in I'd retrospect. agree. There are some very the good Spielberg moments in it, though. are intense and interesting, yeah. But it just feels a little dated. And also, the watching ending. it this time... The end, I mean, with the boy, uh, spoilers for War of the Worlds, but uh, the son goes off to fight with the army and there's a huge explosion where, of course, everything would have been killed in this field. But then the son turns up alive at the end. Miraculously, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, Yeah, yeah, I remember that causing a few raised eyebrows at the time, but... The last time I watched it, I I recall that raising my eyebrow a little bit. Then I read that's what happens in the book. But generally speaking, I thought for Spielberg kind of uh, building on the tension he built with the raptors in the kitchen scene in Jurassic Park for that uh, alien periscope in the basement sequence in War of the Worlds, it was worth it. That's a a great scene. Yeah, it's pretty good. You've got... um... Tim Robbins playing the same character from Mystic River, basically like a yes. kind of weird <laughs> wow, psychopath. <laughs> same kind of guy. And uh, yeah, to close out this trilogy, the second time loop film I watched is Source Code. I've seen Source Code so many times. I think Jake Gyllenhaal is among my, I'm going to put him in my top 10 
don't ask me to name I, 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 I need to 10. put you on pause and not to get you to name your top 10, but it's a... Uh, uh, that's bizarre that you say you've seen source code so many times. I've pronounced it oddly. Fair enough. Uh, I do that with many things, but I, ju- I recall seeing source code in the cinema and thinking to myself, and I have remained true to this, um, this uh, judgment, I don't think I'll ever see that again, even though it was pretty good. Oh, you don't like it? That's no, 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 no. Okay. I, I it was just it... okay. It was fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're clearly impressed or entertained by Source Code. Well, I would say, so, it is. it has a plot that makes very little sense, but it's always engaging, and the whole thing absolutely flies by. It's about an hour 45 or something, and... Yeah, I just uh, I I Four stars. oh okay here let me let me <laughs> let me let me get my biases out here. So I like time travel. I like time loops. I mean, I watched two time loop films. Actually, I watched and I watched uh, another film this week with almost with kind of time travel elements. So I I like whatever's going on in source code. I guess it's like multiple like a kind of multiverse type thing, which again will also be relevant for a TV show we watched. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I I like this type of sci-fi anyway. Okay, so that's that's my bias out there. But mm. I just no, 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 I me think too. it's I, I I think it's a fun, engaging uh, film. I just, I think it's well made. I think it's a shame that Duncan Jones hasn't fulfilled his promise of this and Moon, because instead he went on to make Warcraft and Mute, uh, of which I've seen neither. But I'm only going on the reviews here. <laughs> but, I've uh, seen Warcraft. Mute it's not is great. a piece of shit. It's not great. Okay. Uh, he's attached to direct a Rogue Trooper film of the uh, 2000 AD comic book character. I'm not sure how that's going with COVID um, perhaps interfering with the plans, but supposedly the script is a mix between uh, The Raid and Guardians of the Galaxy. So. Is that all you watched? No. But you, oh, shall I do one more thing? I've got one more film that I watched, a movie film, but it was the first time I'd ever seen it. Tell me everything you watched. Okay, fuck it. So I watched a film called Time Lapse. I guarantee not many people have seen this. It's a 2014 sci-fi thriller. I haven't even heard of it. Mm, Exactly. About a group of people who find a camera which can take a photo 24 hours into the future. (laughs) It is a low-budget B-movie. The acting is pretty patchy in places, but the conceit carries the film. If you're into the genre, it's worth a go. It stars Matt O'Leary, who plays the brain in Brick. Right. How did you... Are you, are you, are you familiar with Brick? Yeah, yeah, I'm the familiar Ryan with Johnson Brick. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you get onto this? I, I assume, I don't recall, but I think I was just searching for like... Uh, time loopy uh, films. Some, uh, yeah, time travel time <laughs> loop, time lapse time time, timey times. And uh, this came up. It's uh, IMDb rating is a very generous six point five ish. It's <laughs> very it's generous. Fine. It's fine. It's fine. I don't want to say too much. Don't want to spoil it for no one's ever going to see this film. It has a, a nice little twist. It's it's good. It's fine. Okay, cool. The acting shot. Mm. So I also watched uh, some TV. Fucking hell! I've spent a lot. Of, I've been working at the same time. I just can't leave the house. So I've been watching a ton of stuff. Uh, I've been continuing along with Mythic Quest Season 2. I'd like to give a shout-out to one episode in particular, Episode 6. In this episode, they go into the backstory of one of the characters, who's played by F. Murray Abraham. I've heard However, it's in this a episode, terrific ep. Yeah, it's set in the 1960s, and the character's played by Big Head from uh, Silicon Valley. 
there's a similar episode in season one where they take a huge departure from the show and it's it's very much worth it in my opinion uh with both the cast and the creators it's it's kind of a weird mesh of it's always sunny and community and i think if apple give the show time then i think it'll it'll really find its voice and become something great at the moment i'd say it's worth watching but these like one-off episodes are, are particularly good no, I've still full intention of uh, getting around to it uh, in Apple, I trust. And what's the thing I have seen? I believe that would be Loki, episode one of the new Marvel TV series. Oh, yeah. All right. Let's. I fucking loved it. Me too. Well, I've already laid out the fact that I'm into time travel, etc. So oh, this is definitely I, my, my cup of tea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, but I get, but, yes, but even, yeah, even I, above that, I, I think they've just done such a great job of... Like they're not, they're purposefully not undoing the villainy of the villain. They're like, there's a slow down and examine and of it, uh, just to pick apart who he is, and it doesn't take from who he is. And uh, Owen Wilson is perfect casting. Yeah, he's, he is. He's great. He's great. He's so good in it. It felt like I, I don't know a. A deleted scene slash chapter from a fucking Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy book. It was fantastic. I I was I couldn't believe how much I enjoyed Loki. To be honest, yeah, uh, pretty much straight away. I felt. I mean, it's immediately closer in tone to something like Thor Ragnarok and and less of yes. Falcon and Winter Soldier's po facedness. And I think it's impressive how they're constantly recontextualizing the previous films and properties of the MCU without damaging it, without damaging anything. Like they're expanding and building and only making them better. And I think, like with Endgame, this only improves uh, some of the films like Thor: The Dark World. And I think the uh, Terry Gilliam esque weirdness of the of the TVA it's all it's all very enjoyable. Yeah, this is exactly up my alley, baby. No, I was just fearful it was going to be shit, to be honest. Maybe that's the fault of Falcon and the Wilter Soldier. It could be that, but I was like, uh, wow, I was blown away by this. Really, really enjoyed it. Uh, and I, I had to like watch it with a crying baby, which ended like, and there are certain things that you can watch easily with a crying baby. I'll get onto that in a second. But I, like I, I, with this, I just didn't want to miss things because I was enjoying the individual exchanges so much. I love how hapless Owen Wilson seems, and yet he's kind of got... He's got the making of Loki. You know what I mean? He knows what he's about. He's on top of it. I also like the fact that you get to see Loki be a little bit sadistic by um, rewinding the, the lady as she's trying to catch him. I thought that was quite fun. I, I genuinely... Yeah, all those, all those time features are great. Also, the uh, I can't remember the name of the actor, but the guy who plays the kind of secretary slash office Oh, he's worker. terrific. Yeah, I can't remember all his name All those scenes either. are really funny. Yeah, 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 he was very funny too. And uh, the fact that Infinity Stones don't mean shit in in wherever they are yeah yeah it was interesting you want to hear what i've been watching please go ahead okay so i have broken some rules of the show by watching some things that we were forever some some things that lost tosses and were forever supposed to be tossed in the waste basket i think that's no 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 that's you can you can watch them thank you and i will give you 30 seconds to discuss them on the podcast (laughs) well i watched shane which I really enjoyed. So, well, it's not surprising that I enjoyed a classic western. I I love westerns. I love spaghetti westerns. I love rev- revisionist westerns. I love the whole tradition. And Shane, I think, it made in nineteen fifty three, is the first western to really have a nasty, violent death in it 
that's actually a little bit reflective of the history. And it's a, it is quite a mythical story. Like you've got this hero emerging from the wild and he fixes things and moves on. So in that regard, it's not, it's not respectful of the history. But I mean, you've got this strange relationship between him, Alan Ladd, and uh, Jean Arthur's character, the wife of the farmer, Joe. She clearly like has feelings for Shane, but she doesn't go for him. And in the end, famously, sorry, guys, I'm going to say it, but in the end, famously... Spoilers uh, for Shane. Yeah, yeah, Shane leaves with wounds and the kid, Joey, is screaming out for him and he's just going to wander into the wilderness and die. Having been shot by one of the ranchers, helped out by a gunfighter. Uh, but that is a lot of how the West went on. I mean, the reason the West settled itself was because basically the Women's Temperance League, you might have seen it in some things, but they got sent out there to basically settle the place and it worked. Um, they were able to stop men killing each other and Shane being a relic from that, um, it's referenced in the final speech in the movie, like, uh, yeah, you, can't, uh, you can't get over the killing, he says, and tell your mother there'll be no more guns in the valley, Joey. It's good. I cried. It's great. I really enjoyed Shane. And the other one that I uh, broke podcast rules for, but apparently not, was The Conjuring 3. I went to the cinema to see that. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed The Conjuring films generally. It's not as good as the first two. It's a frequent uh, criticism you'll see online if you look. So the Conjuring films are the um, stories of these ghost hunters, uh, the Warrens, uh, based on a real-life couple who were no doubt hucksters or lunatics, but their stories make for good filmmaking. And um, the first two were haunted house stories, which I think is where a lot of people were let down by this one because it it starts out as one, then it morphs into sort of a courtroom drama, and then it's them trying to hunt down a Satanist, which is, it's all interesting. The main uh, letdown is that uh, the replacement director is no match for James Wan because... Who is it? Hey, you've caught me. James 2? Hey, very nice. I will get the, the answer to this right now. Michael Chavez. Yeah, so this one directed by Michael Chavez, uh, standing in for James Wan. It's got less of the visual flourish, but it's still interesting, and it's, I don't know, it's a high-budget horror movie, something you don't get to see every day. I really liked it. Uh, there are at least three, and uh, we defined a horror film like this, tension, scares, tension build, jump scare the shit out of you. There are at least three that uh, I got a big buzz out of. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, despite all the uh, sniffy reservations people are having online. And then I also watched The Sopranos Series 4, which is the one, spoilers, where uh, Ralphie Ciparetto bites it. Oh, is that uh, Joey... Joey Pants. Joey Pants, yeah, exactly. Which is just great. I, but I, at the same time, I've I've just got... She was a who I'm the... Sup- the thing. I'm the... Sup- I'm a Sopranos fan like a lot of people are Beatles fans or something. I just... I have no objectivity. I've just worshipped the ground it walks on. And uh, once when I was watching it this time, I, I was watching it thinking, man, it must have been some excellent time for an actor to have to be on The Sopranos. Like, how much James Galdorf... Yeah, be the king of New Jersey. Well, how much you get to explore a character. Now it's the commonplace you get to explore a character over six seasons, but it wasn't back then. And these people really, really got to dig in. Um, and actually, they're like apart from maybe The Wire, I can't think of another show where, by the end, the characters are so concrete and living and breathing. 
I have a, a terrible confession. I may have mentioned before. I don't think I've seen the final two seasons of uh, the Sopranos. That's awful. Just I know, but I just I don't know. I I I watched I've watched the majority of it and I liked it, but I don't know. I just just get over it. Start it from scratch. Never. But apart from all of that shite, we both in preparation for the greatest movie sequel of all time prepped up mm. on the, that director's career and i believe we both watched uh, everything paul king everything paul king had done before what did you make of him i listened to a bit of a podcast of paul king talking about the process of how he got the original paddington and when he listed some of his influences i felt vindicated when he said the same influences that i was thinking let's see if you what well, you can guess at. oh okay for the first Paddington film. Or just you could probably say for both of the Paddington films in general and also for Bunny and the Bull. You could you could definitely say one of these. David Lynch. There were there were two No. Wallace and Gromit. No, but that would be a good one as well. I would I would include that. Bunny and the Bull especially. Um The Cohen brothers? Think more visually. Oh, okay. Um one was Wes Anderson. Oh, yeah, of course. Other... Wes Anderson is very much there. Yeah. And the other was uh, Jean-Pierre Jeunet. The director of Amelie and um, the yeah. cannibal there film. Yeah, because there's heavy Amelie vibes. Certainly, yeah. But the other the other person he said, which kind of was surprising to me, but it's not someone, I'm someone you've guaranteed watched a lot more of his films than I have. He said for Bunny and the Bull, one of his influences was uh, Jim Jarmusch. Yeah, I can get that. The road trippy vibe to the film, while at the same time it's it's not there's not a momentum to it, you know? It's just a collection of scenes. Yeah, that's quite Jim Jarmusch. I'll give you a quick background on Paul King, which can lead us into some of his first projects. Do. So Paul King graduated with a first class honors degree in English from Cambridge University. Wow. Where he met Matt where he met Matt Holness, Richard Aoyadi and Alice Lowe. Three of the stars of Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, which King directed in its theatrical format at the Edinburgh Fringe in 2000 and 2001. The show won the Perrier Perrier Award that year in 2001 in Edinburgh. And when Garth Marenghi's Dark Place was made into a TV series in 2004, King was an associate director. What do you think an associate director actually does? I think it means he directed the original theatre production. And that was it. They were like, hey, we'll just give you a credit. But the series, yeah. the actual TV series was directed by Richard Aoyadi, mm. which is not surprising when you look at what they've both gone on to make. No, that's a great show. So that takes us to Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Uh, yeah, which, I mean, is fantastic. I think it's been a couple of w- years since I've watched it, but there was a time when I was fairly familiar with it. Check this out. I only have, this is a, a nice visual thing only for you, Donica, but... Oh, wow. Look at that. Literally, the only poster I own is a framed uh, Dark Place poster. Nice. So I'm a massive Garth Marenghi's Dark Place fan. I knew this. Yeah, it's a show that I quote frequently to to an annoying extent. For example... My aunt lives in Scotland. She says it's quite nice. Well, she's wrong. (laughs) The the thing that you quote more is uh, she says it's quite nice. (laughs) <laughs> she says it's quite nice. <laughs> yeah. you, you and he were buddies, weren't you? <laughs> you do say that a lot, yes. Yeah, it's true. It's accurate. So, But 
looking back at it now, it blows my mind that of the three leads, Matthew Holness, Richard Ayadi, and Matt Berry, Matt Holness is by far the least famous. Yeah. And let's say least successful of the three. Oh, Especially yeah. Especially seeing as like, it's he not was, just he we was need in to the say office. It, it is what it is. Yeah, he was in the office as well as the super pedantic IT guy. I just felt like he was going to become massive. And I don't mean that like fat. I just thought he was going to be thought he was going to be huge. But yeah, but he, to look who he did not. OK, first of all, the the two guys consider it a competition between the three of them and consider how big Gareth Meringhi's dark place was, which was not very. Not, uh, not at all. Yeah, exactly. Um, but at the same time, if you're going to consider it a competition, if he's up against Richard Ayoade and Matt Berry, like you're going to get buried. Both of those guys have a kind of a comedy charisma that it's just particularly Matt Berry. Matt Berry can say anything, I'll laugh. He, I find him insanely funny. I don't know. All three of them are so good in the show. Like they all have great lines. I must watch it again. lived on. Yeah, I would. I want to rewatch it actually. So after this, I mean, obviously Matt Berry and Richard Aoyadi have gone on to have massive careers. Matt Holness uh, directed a film called Possum in 2018, which I've yet to see. It's supposed I've to be quite seen good. That, yeah. And most recently, he he appeared in the second uh, Mike Flanagan haunting season, Bly Manor, which, which nice I to did see not see till work. the end of. Uh, it's worth watching. I think it's worth finishing. I might. So we've got Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. The other. TV series that I would say uh, visually has a lot more of uh, Paul King's style to it, especially considering he was a director for all 20 of the episodes, is The Mighty Boosh. Yes. Now, where do you land on The Mighty Boosh? I have never... It, I, so, I remember watching No Fielding at the stand in Edinburgh doing stand-up. Hey, stand-up is not good. In a, yeah, in about 2002 or 2003. I can't remember, but... It was a very specific type of person who was into what he was doing. Yes. And they loved it in yes. a way that I've never loved anything. Yes. And I don't know if it's like a stoner thing or what it is, but like, I'm not a fan of surrealism for surrealism's sake. So there's definitely been bits of the Mighty Bush where I was like, yeah, okay, that's okay. But like, it's not for me. I respect them. Yes. I, I, I definitely prefer the other guy, Julian Barrett. But, yes. Uh, yeah, Mighty Bush is not for me at all. In agreement with almost everything you've said, I think uh, the Mighty Bush is this strange thing that, yeah, first of all, what you just said, uh, I, in a way, sort of paraphrased um, Paul Rudd from Knocked Up when he says, uh, I wish I loved anything as much as my kid loves, uh, kids love bubbles. Yeah, uh, the hysteria around right. the Mighty Bush was just something else when it came out. At the time, like, I kind of took an automatic sort of a dislike to it before knowing what it was, given the sort of person that it was into it. I was guilty of that kind of thing at the time. Then one night late on Channel 4, uh, I was watching this mad thing where these boys landed on an island and set up a a society uh, made up of coconuts. This is called The Nightmare of Milky Joe. And uh, afterwards, I I, I remember saying it to my friend, uh, man, I saw this fucking crazy shit last night. He said, oh, man, I saw that too. And we started Googling. We figured out it was the Mighty Boosh. So I figured I was able to, like, yeah, get into some of it. And then I watched, I th- I've, I've seen all of it, and some of it I absolutely love, and some of it, it's not that I hate, 
but it fails. It's just not for you. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah. Or also, I would say it fails. It fails. No, no, no. Not, I would it's say not for me. Yeah, I would say it fails. But no, 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 no. I like here's okay then. Here's the here's the leeway. No fielding. Here's the leeway I'll give it is that like when it works, there's no getting to those places. It's the sort of show that it will never succeed without failing. Because it's so expensive. True. They just throw everything. Definitely takes a lot of risks. It. Yeah. 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 They just throw everything at the wall, and when things work, I but uh, often they don't even work spectacularly enough to justify the risks. But the, also, the first time that I saw Simon Farnaby was in an episode of The Mighty Boosh, The Mighty Crimpoff. Right. Yeah. 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 Which uh, brought him to my attention then. Which then. A lady who I was living with at the, at the time said, oh, those two are leading in this uh, film, The uh, Bunny and the Bull. So I said, okay, I'll check that out. I, I don't think I watched till the end of The Bunny and the Bull until the third time I attempted to watch it. So, um, oh, my God. So annoying I found it. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. I have one Mighty Bush-related question. Do you know who directed their Edinburgh Fringe show Arctic Bush in 1999? I do not. Please tell me. Stuart Lee. What? I know. How bizarre is that? I I like it now. <laughs> oh yeah, me too. I actually always liked it. I liked it before <laughs> even Stuart Lee liked it. I liked it much uh, way before that. I actually wrote it. I was in it. I don't know if you know that. I know a girl who went, so, went to a, yeah, Mike, uh, a Mighty Boosh concert, and um, she said, I, "I think concert is the right word as well. Yeah, I don't yeah. think it's a show. I think it is a concert." Yeah, yeah. She's. She said the scales fell from her eyes the instant Noel Fielding came out and uh, all these teenage girls started going insane and she just realized, oh my God, I'm at a fucking Avril Lavigne concert. That's where I am right now. She, have you, have she you said seen she had a real, a real come to Jesus moment. Just at the, She was like, <laughs> oh my God, this is, oh no, this is where I am. <laughs> Go on. It's funny to me, yeah, whenever, I, there's been times when I've seen Noel Fielding as himself, not doing any comedy stuff or any character. And he comes across to me as hugely cynical, as just like putting on this like surrealist act that's not him at all. Yeah. I don't know. He just he comes he comes across in a in a way that I'm like, Ugh, I don't like this. This is not authentic at all. I know what you mean, yeah. Um I think I I recall one time he was on Nevermind the Buzzcocks and um Simon Amstel I, Pitch perfect piss taker, in my opinion. Like, still, just if you just watch back some of the clips of how he just dismantled people, yeah. he was just amazing at it. But um, Noel Fielding would interrupt and the audience would laugh. And uh, after this happening two or three times, he was just about to interrupt and Simon Amstel just went, uh, Oh, what? You've got to go on a motorbike made of bubblegum <laughs> to the fucking ju- yeah. moons of Jupiter or something, do you? And it yeah, just yeah, nailed yeah. This, it. This is very familiar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And like you know, that, at that point, like the scales. Would, and how would you not be? How would you not be cynical if you di- if you did that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like if if Simon Amstel knows, insane, if but... Simon Amstel knows, yeah. sure as shit, Noel Fielding knows. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so let's get into Bunny and the Bull. I despised. I I don't. <laughs> I, I, let, let's say that I feel bad. Okay, because. I like Paul King's work. I think technically the film is really, really well made. Yes. I think there are so many, there's so many interesting visual ideas, which he carried on into Paddington. I feel like it bridges a gap between the mighty Bush and the filmmaker that he's now mm, become. I have but a different way to I phrase would, that. Okay. I feel like his TV work infected him. 
um, because mm. I feel like the story in Bunny of uh, Bunny and the Bull is actually strong and interesting. It's an interesting story, but it, it's caught up in all. And then at one point it does when Julian Barrett, uh, and not just because Julian Barrett arrives, but but of the way that's played and shot and everything, it just becomes yeah. a mighty Bush episode. Um, but I do actually think the the story is interesting. So you start off with. Um, whatever the fuck his name is, and he's an agoraphobic. Yeah, Ed, the character, he's called Ed, the, that actor's called Edward Hogg, and he plays this stereotypical, unlikable incel that seems to drive most Oxbridge-written films. Uh, you're going to have to explain that one that, to, to me there, Andy. Well, I would say, uh, if I think about so many... Well, okay, I, I don't want to, again, I don't want to attack uh, Richard Aoyadi's film Submarine as well, which is based on a book, but I just feel like it was coming at a time of, like, nerddom, or of be of, like, this kind oh, of incel yeah, I, I know character that's, like, as opposed to, I mean, I don't know what's worse. The other character, Simon Farnaby, plays the An flip side legend. of culture, the lad abroad who shags everything that moves. He is... I don't. Okay, this I don't have a lot of experience with Simon Farnaby. I just found him immediately completely without any redeemable quality. I just oh, I I disagree. Instantly took a a massive disliking to him. You see, that's why it it was a at least halfway to an interesting film for me, and I think that it, it does kind of touch the point of the film. Is that okay? First of all, I I do think. If they're, yeah, it might be very much of the time if they're trying to make us feel in any way just empathetic for Hawk or whatever the character's name is. But no, we don't. I hated him from moment one. But uh, Bunny, I just thought, (laughs) I just thought, yeah, go on, get in there, son. Have the crack. Oh, man. I felt like that. I felt like he captured uh, comedy zeitgeist of the mid-2000s, although it was made in 2009. Yeah. But I just felt like it was from another time period. You well, know when you feel like... Yeah, I know it was, but I, I, and it was, and I think it should stay there. I, don't, I, I think <laughs> a large part of my problem for me is when a British film tries to portray other European cultures, and it tends to end up coming off like, right. like an episode of Eurotrash. Right, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> You've yeah. got this Spanish uh, uh, Veronica Echigui who plays. Uh, I mean, she again is just like the Spanish stereotype. Who's I want to go to the fiestas. Her brother's a bullfighter. There's funny things in there. Shit. There's funny things in there. And it's fucking my face. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like, not that funny. But um, I would like to say, um, I. I hated this film too. I don't know why I'm defending it so much. Maybe somebody has to. But I do feel that there's a strong story in there. The way the film is constructed, you can immediately, despite all the bullshit that he picked up from directing episodes of The Mighty Boosh, like that's one thing that's fucking just annoying. Like, I think this film would be improved, I'll say 30% if they uh, removed all the cutout bullshit. You don't like that. I didn't bother me. Though, Hated I it. guess when it when it came to the end, spoilers for Bunny and the Bull. But when Simon Far- Farnaby's character—that's the one—that's the one part of that that I uh, thought was cool. Maybe the bull. Itself. He gets, uh, yeah, he gets he gets gored to death by a bull, and then at that moment, you kind of see—I don't even know what the other characters called Edward Hogg's character. You see them in a he's he's in a field and you get the sense for the first time in the film that you're actually like in the real world. 
Yeah. And yeah, okay, he's constructed this fantasy world to cope with his friend dying, but just horribly unlikable characters. So I just, at the end of the day, I don't care. I, I want to point out some points of, of the film. We got to see uh, Simon Farnaby's penis. That was yeah, obviously that was a nice. real highlight. That but was pretty good. Julian, Julian Barrett picks up a dog and drinks milk from its teats. Not uh, great. Simon, Far- Simon Farnaby shags a dog uh, in a <laughs> dream sequence. Yeah. He does shag it doggy style, at least. So respect for that. Yeah. Could have been better. Is how I'd rate Bunny in the Bowl. But yeah, I, I don't, I don't want to knock Paul King too much. I mean, it was a small film. It was his first well, film. It was made with what? Warp, and it, which is the film arm of the record label, which produced such films as Dead Man's Shoes, This Is England, Four Lions, well, and you, also Submarine. You better not slag off Paul King too much because then he went and. Direct- wait, wait, wait! Just to hear, wait, one question: What do you think the budget was in Bunny in the Bull? Ooh, you're always. Tricking me with these. Uh, less than a million, surely. Yeah, 750,000. So maybe Pirates. that's why we had all that prosthetic Sterling. nonsense. Quite possibly. They should have just given the money to me. Indeed, yeah, I would have made a better film. Set in no, Spain, properly. Money. <laughs> you, would, you would have just what? <laughs> I should just pay my bank account. Yeah, yeah, indeed. I'd have looked after it. I Well, I mean, you can't be too mad at fucking Paul King, because then he went on to direct Paddington. He did. Which you also watched this week. I did. So are we discussing these films in a 2-4, or we, what will we do? I would say just uh, very briefly dip into Paddington here. Yeah, because Paddington then, is an origin story, so... Yeah. Hi, what, was your, uh, what was your reaction? Did you rewatch Paddington this week or not? Yes, I did. But first of all, I'd like to uh, just uh, speak to the first time I saw it, because... It was um, one of those great experiences where I just didn't expect anything. Uh, I was working as a film critic at the time for a magazine in Dublin um, for like shite pay, but you would get to see movies for free, which was just amazing. I wasn't even living in Dublin. I would get the early bus up to Dublin at like five in the morning on Tuesdays and Thursdays, while still maintaining a, like five days a week in a restaurant to watch two movies on Tuesday, two movies on Thursday, and turn Those in... Those were the days. Four reviews, yeah, yeah. But the, so, like, the thing was, you would just get to see fucking everything. Uh, so if you, if you were up for it, like, I would often go into press screenings that I wasn't even reviewing for just to, because I could, because I had the card. But I said yes to everything just so I could build up experience and so forth. And uh, then I I hadn't even heard that this film was on the boiler, and I was uh, I just saw the name of it, it was like Paddington, and then I looked up the the presser for it on the bus up. I was like, oh no, the fucking bear, because I just presumed it was just going to be one of those I don't know something like the James Corden Peter Rabbit film, or I don't know there was a Robert De Niro Rocky and Bullwinkin film a, a few years ago. I just thought, oh, this is just going to be absolute trash. And I was like, ah, fuck, <laughs> because you, a lot of the time on that beat, you just get to see some mad films that you would have never seen otherwise. I remember seeing this film Salvo about a blind Italian assassin. It, like, really, you just see mad stuff. But Paddington started, I'm tracking you now to see, did you have the same experience? And just the gags sort of start working. Then there's this band that's, playing to you at intervals throughout the movie and then before you know it it's fucking getting you in the heartstrings as well as being visually excellent 
And uh, I was weeping in the fucking movie theater at like nine in the morning. I was crying. Uh, the the speech that I cried for was when I I think uh, Paddington gives his big um, anti Brexit speech to Nicole Kidman's character at the end, but I loved it. Went to see it again with a with a public audience, and then um, I've watched it many times since. So I didn't really need to watch it again this week just for this, but I did. I watched both of them again. I've seen them both many times, and I love. I have a huge affection for these films. Andy, how did you get on? I think I'll need to rewatch the first one in the context of having seen them both. I enjoyed it a lot. It's a very strong origin story. I found the first 10 minutes of the first film to be the saddest of all when spoilers for the first Paddington as well, but his uncle oh, Pazuzu dies. Pazuzu, yeah. I think that's what you just said is the name of the the demon from in the, the exorcist. exorcist. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, so <laughs> that would be really worrying if his uncle was Pazuzu, that demon statue thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that was the saddest part of everything. I found that particularly moving. Um, yeah, first film's a solid intro. I think it's a little safer than the sequel, which is not really a surprise because the co-writer was Hamish McCall, who wrote things like Mr. Bean's Holiday and Johnny English Reborn. So okay. it's not really that shocking to me that the first one is a bit more kind of like safe pair of hands, whereas um, the sequel's co-written by Farnaby. Uh, whose penis we have already seen this week. So it's that goes into, you know, uh, for me, more interesting territory. I think in the first one, uh, the villain is very good, Nicole Kidman. And then you've got uh, Peter Peter Capaldi being a bit of a baddie as well, chewing the scenery. Mm-hmm. Uh, originally, originally, Paddington was supposed to have a, 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 a Poochie-style uh, girlfriend, which thankfully got nixed pretty fast at the script stage. Also, uh, Colin Firth was going to be the voice That's of the bear right. before being replaced, which I think, f- thank fuck, because I think uh, Ben Well, he ben stepped Wishart out of really that uh, role voluntarily. Good. It was his I idea. I can't imagine yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't imagine him having the kind of childlike wonder or innocence needed for like a fish out of water story. No, no, like certainly this. not. Um, I think they just... Um, <laughs> I th- I think they just uh, cast him based not on his voice at all, on his um, demeanor and how cuddly he is and and so forth. But like, yeah, Wishaw's he's key, like a human curge. Paddington. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Firth uh, is a human Paddington, but uh, yeah, Wishaw just um, the, nails it absolutely. The only other thing I would say about the first film is I think it's guilty, as with many films set in London, of showing a type of life that exists only for the uh, the ultra privileged. Mm. Uh, much like we saw with Locked Down, is I feel like this family should not really be living in that house. Like, does uh, Sally Hawkins have a job? She's an illustrator. I can't recall. She's an illustrator. Okay, I'm sure that's lucrative. I mean, obviously the dad is is making good <laughs> money, but still. Yeah, the Yeah, so okay, so yeah, so Sally Hawkins is an illustrator. Okay. You've seen this film. I mean you you a lot were the, of time. the script supervisor on this film, so I may as well have been. I'm a huge fan of this film. And watching it this week I had a even a new observation on it. Which was is <laughs> Paddington's maybe, a bear. Is maybe actually more relevant for the second film, which of course we will get into, but We've spoken about this already in the course of this podcast, speaking about the TV show Ted Lasso. And I've recently been, um, and I haven't gotten to the end of it yet, but I've recently been, which is why I haven't brought it up here, but I've recently been uh, re-watching Twin Peaks with a view to watching Twin Peaks The Return. Mm. And uh, there's something to be said for 
a show, and I'm sure there are movies like this too. Well, yeah, Paddington is a movie like this. What am I talking about? That are just completely coloured by the main actor's demeanour. And everything is influenced by this, including decisions other characters make. In Twin Peaks, I'm talking about like Dale Cooper versus the owner of the hotel. They're basically good and evil. And Ted Lasso works like that. He's just this good-natured individual who affects everybody around him. In Paddington, in the in the first one, it's not quite there because I suppose Nicole Kidman's character is uh, irredeemable to an extent. But in the second character, it certainly is. It's just like... The the whole message is, if you are enough of a kind idiot, it'll probably be okay for you. Shall we move into talking about Paddington 2 then? Let's do it. So Paddington 2, the film is dedicated to the memory of friend of the show, Michael Bond, who died in 27, <laughs> the creator of Paddington. I don't really have a huge personal connection to uh, the the Paddington cartoon i guess Me that's neither. what it was in the first place like i definitely had some books when i was a kid but it's clear that paul king has a real affection for the character of paddington but it doesn't really mean an awful lot to me but they 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 referred to michael bond as he's a friend yeah and as well um i mean the second film has a a plot much more like a paddington book than the first one You've got the whole... What, it's a bit more whimsical or... Well, you've got the whole adventure emerging from something as simplistic as Paddington wants to buy a birthday present. Yeah. At, at the start of the film, we'll get into when we talk about the plot, but it was so low stakes. I was happy enough that if that was just it, that it was just about the book. If it had only been about the popping book, I would have been happy. But then we wouldn't have gotten to see Paddington go to prison. Oh, that's right. That's exactly, that was my favorite scene. I don't know if yours was the same of, as mine, but I wish I could tell you that Paddington fought the good fight. That the <laughs> sisters let him be. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. I don't, I don't know if I picked up the right film. Are we going to talk cast and plot or what? Yeah, well, I have a couple of more things just to say, to give a bit of background, actually. The first film, the budget was between 50 to $60 million, and it grossed wow. $282.8 million. The second film, the budget was a little lower, it was $40 million, and it ended up grossing 228 and also spawning a Nickelodeon TV series, which is, uh, is again, voiced by Wishaw. Oh, I hadn't even heard of that. I'm sure it's not as mm, good. I, it's good for your daughter, maybe. Um, also, it, it it should be noted that for a short time there, um, Paddington, according to Rotting Tomatoes, was the uh, best film of all time. Paddington 2, rather. Yeah, Paddington 2 has 246 reviews registered on Rotten Tomatoes Tomatoes. 245 are positive, one is negative. The negative review is from Eddie Harrison from filmauthority.com, which is a film blog, whose contact email is a Yahoo address. That's like us being registered as a, uh, like to give a negative review, like fuck Pritzi's honor. Um, so uh, Eddie Harrison gave the film two stars saying it was charmless and that the character bore no relation to the cartoon original. He describes him as overconfident, snide and sullen. And this blog, this... I mean, this is clearly somebody trying to spoil the 100%. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, I mean, wait. I, respect, so these, I respect so, the guy. I respect the guy. Tell me more. Tell so, me wait, more. so, so here, these, the, so his, his blog entry, he goes back to the blog entry every so often and adds some more to it, I think. So it has attracted a lot of thoughtful comments from users, such as, 
this is this apparently this post with this comment was registered two weeks ago which says i hope you're fucking proud of yourself you fucking hack you ruined <laughs> one of the good things left unspoiled in this world and uh some and some other user had a more laser focused i hope you get fucking aids and die old man nice i mean like so, that's what happens I, that is top like i'm laughing because that is clearly top class trolling like is what that yeah. is. Uh, it's amazing trolling, and good for you, sir. I'm on his side, and you know, I, I, and I'm only on his side because he got the results. If people hadn't replied, it would have been a fruitless effort. But because he got people that angry, God bless you, sir. Yeah, I think it's impressive. I think that's some, that's some quality film journalism he's carrying on the bird spirit. So start with the returning cast from the first film. We've got Hugh Bonville as uh, Henry Brown. He's probably best known for his role in Downton Abbey. Lord Grantham himself. I think he manages. Uh, is that what he's called? Yes. I've watched Downton Abbey. I couldn't tell you. He's. I would have said Mr. Downton. Uh, I think he manages to pull off both the drama and the comedy required for the role. He's much more likable in the second film, but the part feels a lot smaller, probably due to the fact that Paddington's world expands beyond the family. And yes. Because he goes to jail. And because the first one is is like an origin story and getting uh, Mr. Brown to like Paddington was like the major point of the first film. And yeah, you know, it's it all about that conflict. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it would have been boring if they had just decided to retread it for the second, which I'm again, I'm so this one thing that we should know, this uh, podcast was about sequels and you picked a sequel that just dances gleefully past all the major pitfalls of sequels normally. Yeah, there's no retreading of the first film. None. It moves on. None at they, all. They've established character relationships and they build on those. Yeah. And they they support the the plot going forward. So we've got Sally Hawkins as Mary Brown. Mm -hmm. I think we've talked a little about Sally Hawkins before. We mentioned her in the Vera Drake episode and in discussing her fish shagging exploits in The Shape of Water. That's right. I think her, her quirkiness, sensitivity and earnestness are perfect for this role. And of course, she also played the mother in Richard Aoyadi's uh, Submarine as well. I've never um, seen Submarine. I actually, you haven't seen Submarine? Oh, no. It is a good film, despite me having having a go at, uh, at perhaps the, the it main looks It looks a being. little bit Garden state -y to me. It's much better than that. It's okay. much, it's, yeah, it's in a safer pair of hands than that. But yeah, I think so. I just, like, Sally Hawkins has, has an unusual face, but I find her very attractive in this film for some reason. I don't know why. In Paddington? Yeah. Well, you should watch The Shape of know. Water again. She gets the lads out. Well, yeah, that's it. I guess. Uh, does she? All right, then. Yeah, well, I'll get back to the fish shagging. Go back to that, then. You're right. I should expand. I should broaden my horizons. I have seen Shape of Water. I wasn't a massive fan. So uh, we've got Julie Walters as Mrs. Bird. Dame Julie Walters as the Scottish nanny brings the gravitas you would expect. I thought her generic old lady Scottish accent was fine, but she got absolutely roasted online for her Glaswegian accent in Wild Rose, which I have yet to see. Mm, yeah, I haven't seen that either. Uh, I flicked through it a little bit, and it it just said she wasn't great. But neither who had the 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 lead in that film is also supposed to be Scottish, and is not great. But but anyway, I think it works. Uh, it works fine here in a fantasy setting. Maybe less so in a in a down to earth gritty drama. But uh, her character states at one point something I have said in all seriousness many times over the last few years, which is actors are some of the most evil people on the planet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I and thought they of are, you. <laughs> they are professional liars. Yeah, I've said that exact same thing. And when I saw that, I was like, 
Paul King, get out of my head. I thought, it's I not thought of you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you could imagine me pointing at the screen and the kind of <gasps> type realization of yes, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. take that, actors. Yeah, twice. I could imagine you and I trying to organize a dinner party together, me suggesting an actor and you saying exactly that. No, 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 Donica, yeah. no. They will just fiddle money out of us. They're bad people. You've, I'm sure. If you're, yeah, yeah. I'm sure we've rhapsodized at one another at our distrust and distaste yeah. for actors. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm not fan. But if you're an actor and you're listening to this, you're okay. Yes. You're one of the good ones. You're in the the type A category that we discussed last week. Yes. Uh, what else? We've got the the two kids. I've got nothing to say about them. They're fine. They've yeah. grown up a little bit. Literally nothing to say about them. They're perfectly serviceable. Uh, we've got the returning quirky characters. We have Jim Broadbent as the antique shop owner, Mr. Gruber. I love his malapropism. Ooh, there's a of, little bear. Yeah, I like the, the whole thing of him talking, calling the pop-up book a popping book. I don't know why, but I just, I love that so much. The popping book. That's nice. Yeah. Maybe it's because it has almost kind of sexual element or something. It sounds a bit dodgy, but I don't know. It's great. We've got Peter Capaldi, who I think should only be allowed to play Scottish characters. I don't think he should be allowed to do anything other than Scottish Psycho. And here he returns as a kind of soft villain, the General Scrooge type. Doesn't really have much to do in the second film. I think they just brought him back to be like, hey, remember, he still lives here. Uh, he's got one fun moment in the, the film where... Um they find out Paddington has escaped and he's out on the street with a clipboard. I thought that was quite funny. Yeah, that's the only way to really use him here. The, the key additions to the cast for this go-round are Hugh Grant as Phoenix Buchanan. Yes! Uh, he, I'd say he's the real winner in this one. He's having Definitely. so much fun in this film as a, a full-on West End lovey. He's in the attic having conversations between his different characters. He has a big song and dance number. And I think with this and The Gentleman, we're in the middle of a Hugh grant uh, I would hope so. Uh, he's so fun in this. He's he, he's well, just so, great. Uh, you've well, I mean, you've got uh, I've, well. No, for me, the MVP of the film is Brendan Gleeson. That's because you are kind of you're like a, a young Brendan Gleeson. I can see you Thank turning you. into Brendan Gleeson. Thank you for saying yes, that. You take that. I yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll take that in a second. I love uh, Knuckles McGinty. I think he's McGinty. I think, yeah, he's great. I think he's very good with, especially with the comedy elements, Brendan Gleeson. I don't think he really manages to be threatening, but it is a kid's film at the end of the day, so it's not really important. But I've listened to um, Young's worth of interviews about this film, and uh, like I've plenty of details to fill in to fill in about um, his performance, but just uh, just even minor ones like um, his pronunciation of uh, Marmalade. And Baguette were were, <laughs> yeah. were all were all things he brought to the role from a like nice. basically having uh, lost his mother when he was young that he's a, a train robber as well um, and like how susceptible he was to the hard stare was purely from his relationship with his his mother all sorts of noise like this <laughs> is what he like he brought to the role um, and like. Uh, Paul King and Simon Farnaby just said they were just overjoyed with it because actually it's an interesting little thing because um, writing with Simon Farnaby, who's a comic actor with that horrible histories crew and everything, he would do all the voices as they were writing. And uh, Paul King, in an interview, I heard him say that um, he had grown particularly attached to Farnaby. Uh, Farnaby, of course, whose security guard Barry 
who mm, in uh, both of the films who yeah who, who likes men in drag who likes men in drag exactly paul king had considered having him playing knuckles because he was so attached to um his portrayal of him as they were writing but uh, apparently mm. Gle- apparently gleason signed up upon getting the script like there was no audition or anything which they hadn't expected that like they have just some big clout with big names for the type of film this is i would say yeah, I mean, they saw what the first one had done. That was well received. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. Paul King. Paul. I mean, clearly, Paul King's made a name for himself. He's going on. He's going to do the uh, Wonka film. Yeah, that's right. Uh, which that's his, his next th- thing, which is uh, yeah, and he's the, set he, for release in twenty twenty three, starring Timothy Chalamet as Willy Wonka. He Paul King is literally the only reason I'm interested in that film. Yeah, I think it, because I it makes sense if you think about Wes Anderson. His uh, connection with Roald Dahl, I think like Roald Dahl will work quite well with Paul King's sensibilities as well. Yeah, yeah, true. And so the other notable, we've got some other UK faces, like you mentioned, we've got Farnaby as the uh, security guards. The other big faces, we've got Ben Miller, Jessica Hines, Joanna Lumley, Sanjeev Baskar, and Robbie G from Snatch. He's a bin man. It's a solid cast. Did you really enjoy Paddington too? Yeah, I definitely preferred it. I think I liked it more than the first one. And well, yeah, I mean, it's... I think just because it takes some risks, it's a bit more interesting where it goes. Like, we'd already, as we've already discussed, it's, uh, it's taking the foundation of the original film and then just being a bit, bit bolder, a bit braver. Mm. And not retreading any ground. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they don't undo any of the bridges he built between him and the Browns, as we'll get into. Anyway, I'll get into the plot. Sure will I. Right, so in a prequel sequence, we see Aunt Lucy and Uncle Pastuzo rescue Paddington from a river and thus have to cancel their trip to London that they'd wanted to take their whole lives. Having recently become a father myself and having trouble figuring out where my next trip might be, I would like to say no comment. Are you going to go to darkest Peru? I haven't... I don't think so. I don't think I'll ever go to Peru now. I like I I say this shit to my students, and they're like, "No, yeah," but it's like, "No, I'm just a realist about it." It's like, okay, I, I made one big, dirty, hostile South American trip. I don't think I have another one in me. I've never been to South America. You just mean it's stressful, or now that you've got a kid? Mm, no, not. Well, I don't know. If I was gonna do it, I would want to be doing it in you know nice hotels and shit like that. I I don't have it, and like. Yeah, I suppose it's it's a culture shock. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah, I guess I'm probably less racist and <laughs> elitist than you, so I don't mind actually interacting with the locals and uh, yeah, yeah, meeting them at their level. Maybe, maybe. Uh, what I need, I need, I need to watch an episode of uh, Anthony Bourdain where he's been there first, and then I'll be okay with it. That's that's how I like to live my life. Fair play. We find Paddington in London, having been fully adopted by the Browns. Um, he's writing to his Aunt Lucy, telling him all about it. We see this connection throughout. He writes to Aunt Lucy throughout the film, which um, I mean, it works really, really nicely. Uh, as we, like you, you see it more intensely later on. Uh, when he meets the pop-up book, but the relationship w- and like how there's something sort of missing in Paddington is so, is really really beautiful the way it's sort of um, played throughout. So uh, yeah, we find Paddington have been adopted, and a bunch of threads are set up for later on. So uh, Judy has taken to running a newspaper. Jonathan likes steam engines now in secret, uh, and in public likes to be called J Dog. 
Uh, Mr. Brown was once known for being good at coconut throwings, and now he's having a midlife crisis and doing yoga. Uh, Mrs. Brown is training to swim the English Channel, which might be the thinnest setup of the lot of them, I would say, uh, but whatever. And um, Paddington makes everybody happy, except for Mr. Curry, who's still a prick. I do think that now that you've mentioned all the setup, one thing I like about these films is that they do pay everything off. Yeah, for sure. All of Paul King's characters are thorough, I don't know, in their in their meaning and what they do and what they represent. Like they are what they are and to to the plot. Do you know what I mean? Even in Bunny and the Bull. Right. Like they're just who they are through and through and they they're built around the plot basically. Um and it yeah, works exactly the same with uh, Paddington. I think Mr. Curry is like probably the only villain in the <laughs> the whole thing. He's just an arsehole. Although he's not as bad as Nicole Kidman in the first one. But anyway, yeah, the sequence where Paddington wa- makes his way to Mr. Gruber's shop and like helps a, uh, gives a lady a sandwich and uh, helps a bin man study for his test to become a cabbie and all of that shit. Uh, that was like the first, that was the first thing in the film to make me cry. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just become a blubbering mess around this film. Did, did you not? No, I thought it was very nice. So that's nice that he's well integrated. And uh, yeah, I I just it, I think the first film especially kind of set up this tonal thing of xenophobia is wrong, and the UK has a backbone of uh, people coming from other places. Uh, although they have the voice of Ben Whishaw, <laughs> they, they come and integrate and play an important role in society. Blah, blah, blah. And that was pre and that was pre Brexit as well. And this one is post-Brexit, so fucking hell. Like, yeah, I think it's great, but it didn't make me cry. I would love to see... Although I I do agree with the sentiments of the film. Uh, Do you think you have it in your powers to do an edit of the entire film where Paddington's dialogue is spoken with a Peruvian accent? Yeah, that would be more appropriate. Oh, that would be brilliant. Why didn't they get that? I've not, because they're racist. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Paul King and his Farnaby, we've got your number up. He should be saying, hey, senor, you want some marmalade? No, that's probably wrong. That's not right. I don't know what a Peruvian accent is like. Do you? No, no. but yeah, I'll, I'll leave it for you. Fuck that shit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, yeah, and then the next uh, thing to make me cry was when he f- sees the uh, pop-up book and uh, he imagines his aunt arriving in London and, her, uh, and giving her yeah, a hug. Yeah, okay. Oof. That was definitely, that was more emotional for me. That is, so, like, that's so beautiful to even think of that, like, Paddington, like, is too polite to let the Browns know how much he's missing his aunt. But you can see it in the, like, everything in the film is telling you that, that, like, he's really, really missing her and he wants to see her. So I'm, we're, I'm almost welling up now. I've, this this <laughs> oh just gets God. to, this gets to me, Andy. <laughs> I can't, anyway, all right, all right, right. We need to get through this plot. All right. Okay. So then anyway, the quest of the film is set in motion, which is to get money, to get the pop-up book, which is fucking, it is genius storytelling, really. Like, just something so simple uh, to set off a big adventure. That, that's what I was saying earlier. Mm. Like, I would be happy if those were the stakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was enough for me. The po- the popping book was enough. But that's the, that is what the, what the plot is. Because I think, like, again, I keep saying that. That's the thing I got it. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. But, like, 
when they get to prison later, I think that's really where you get to see what the film's about. Yeah, and the pop-up book, book will get you there, but whatever. It's just really about spending time in this sort of world and the big payoff at the end. It's it's all about that too. So then next we get to see Paddington, uh, The Barber, which would be the film's one expendable scene, I would say, but for it introduces us to Judge uh, Biggles Wade, who Paddington gives a bad haircut to. Played by the legendary Tom Conti. Tom Conti, where, where do I know him from? Uh, he's in uh, The Dark Knight Rises and a bunch of other stuff. He's a, a famed, I want to say he's Scottish. He's a Scottish guy. Is, is Tom Conti Scottish? His daughter, Nina Conti, is a stand-up comedian. Oh, that. All oh, right. Yeah, yeah. does the monkey stuff. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. Scottish. Tom I watched Conti. it. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, yeah, She's yeah. an attractive lady. Beasley. She's uh, attractive for a comedian. Listen, I'm not shitting on her. She's great. No worries. I watched well, it for you, Nina Conte. I watched a very good documentary she uh, made called uh, "Her Master's Voice." She's uh, 47 years young. Good for her. <laughs> the film is like chock full of gags as well. Were you laughing throughout? Did you find it funny? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Hmm. It wasn't uh, the funniest thing I've ever watched, but it wasn't really treating it as a comedy i just think it's it's nice it's whimsical it's fun i wasn't uh doubled over laughing all right fair what enough. what were some of the i mean i'll, I'll give you like well again we can mention this later but i think my the type of joke that i enjoyed is uh like when they're in the courtroom scene and they bring out the marmalade. Oh, and Richard Ayoade, yeah, he's perfect in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He, and he takes it, and you and you know what he's going to do. He's, he he uh, rubs it on his gums. I feel like that's like a Simpsons joke. I don't know. He, yeah, rubbing it. On that the, that is a very on, Simpsons marmalade on his gums. That is a very that's very Simpsons the whole sequence. And actually, in a manner, yeah. uh, Phoenix Buchanan is kind of channeling Sideshow Bob a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Okay, right. Um, so yeah, yeah. There are loads of gags to to get through as well. Yeah. So then they they after that he he fails as a barber. Uh, he go they go to the steam fair where we're introduced to Hugh Grant's Phoenix Buchanan, who should have won awards for this. Like he's so good. I I think um, having watched the film twice in one week now, probably not the first time I've done that either. Buchanan um, he takes a kind of an interest in Paddington mentioning the pop up book, and we find out uh, later that it's some kind of treasure map. Anyway, but Buchanan, unbeknownst to himself, gives Paddington his next great idea, which is to clean windows, which could have been a movie all on its own. As a matter of fact, I feel like that is probably I've never watched the. TV show of Paddington, but I imagine that's what one episode of it is like. Yeah, a lot of the physical comedy here is definitely aimed at young children. I mean, ultimately, these these are children's films, and that's what this is servicing. And you mentioned Wallace and Gromit before. And yes. With this and the trade train sequence later on, there's you can feel heavy uh, Wallace and Gromit vibes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you you take a big interest in them. Um, Movie music, yeah? Have you listened to the score to this much apart from the film? Not at all. It's it's really nice and relaxing. I was listening to it in work during the week there. I, I, I quite enjoyed it. It's just that... And then sometimes it looks a little bit sad. And Yeah, yeah, I liked it. Anyway... Uh, Who's the composer? Oh, it's a foreigner. <laughs> okay. Well, that's very fitting for this. I'll tell you now. I like that you say it's a foreigner, given that we are both from different countries and technically not even really the country well, of origin of this film. The country that I live in is full of foreigners as well, you know. Uh, Dario Marianelli. So anyway, then, one night uh, Paddington sees a filthy bum stealing the pop-up book and ends up framed himself, but it turns out it was Phoenix Buchanan, whose sole motivation, and here's another great motivation, 
uh, he's putting on a one man show. He wants the money to put on a one man show. <laughs> a one man show of the highest caliber. Yeah. Not just any old shit. And he's uh, he's not doing the free French. This is some real stuff here. It's great that his his bad guy monologuing is to all of his old characters. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed that. And also I That's just it's just it's just Hugh Grant having fun. Yeah, yeah, totally. And all the characters are basically characters that um didn't have copyright on them. That's that's a uh, I I heard Oh, is that why? Yeah, 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 yeah. I heard that in an interview with Paul King and Simon Far- Simon Farnaby. That yeah, they just used whoever they could. Like there's no play of a Christmas carol, for example, but like, you know, they just they could use Scrooge. Uh, interestingly enough, they also said the idea of him wanting to put on the one a one man show was based on something that um Ian McKellen did years ago at a Shakespeare in the Park one man show where he would just do monologues from all through his career his including his coronation street character but he did his juliet and everything like that and uh yeah paul king uh, recalls like going along to it and just <laughs> just thinking I, di- I, di- I didn't want to see ian mckellen's juliet you know what i mean uh but yeah he said that that's that whole idea is based on having having witnessed um just some utter actor fuckery. Actually, do you have at hand there the uh, quote from um, Mrs. Bird about actors? Actors are some of the most evil people on the planet. They're professional liars. <laughs> I love it. So, yeah, as you mentioned earlier, Paddington gets hilariously buggered by Richard Ayoade's forensic evidence and by uh, Buchanan's eyewitnessing. He gets 10 years, which seems harsh, especially considering they didn't even find the book on him. But whatever, (laughs) you know, that is is a mad. I I know it doesn't matter, but a 10 year (laughs) sentence. But what's that for? Is that is that like teaching children don't steal or you'll get 10 years? I mean, that's the most unrealistic uh, sentencing I can imagine. Well, the judge is a bit corrupt as well. That's true. Yeah, yeah, because Paddington gave him a, a bad haircut with marmalade. Anyway, uh, Paddington gets in, is distraught to learn that he won't be read a bedtime story. And uh, yeah, but then he, he's writing away to his Aunt Lucy. He says it's not all bad. He gets laundry duty um, and uh, in a great gag, turns all the prison outfits uh, pink, which is uh, fairly funny. I, I found that pretty gas. And then uh, he ends up... Um, that also feels kind of Simpsons-y as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of when Homer dyes his shirt pink. Sure, yeah. Next, then, he is all primed and ready to catch the ire of one Knuckles McGinty with an N by complaining about the food. So he ends up talking to Brendan Gleeson's Knuckles and then um, having then he stains his shirt with ketchup, tries to get it out with mustard and hits him on the head with some bread, to which Knuckles replies, no one bonks me on the head with a baguette. Uh, one of the greatest pleasures in the uh, film is Brendan Gleeson's odd pronunciations of things because soon after that he grabs the bear and uh, the marmalade sandwich from Paddington's hat lands in his mouth and then uh, he <laughs> he says, what is that? And then we get his pronunciation of uh, marmalade, which is, is quite pleasant to the ear anyway. Yeah, for me, Gleeson is another standout providing a quote I've, I've used plenty since, which is, uh, I don't do nothing for no one for nothing which I like too. Wow. That's good. Andy's cockles stayed cold for all of that. Yeah. I, I'm, I, like I said earlier, I think you're going to turn into Brendan Gleeson at some point. If you're not already, you're on the path. Oh, I'd love to. What a beard he has in this film. It's epic. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, the knuckles with an N spelling, that was a Gleeson idea as well. Anyway. 
you you have a very nice beard too. Thank you. Her name's Belen. Oh, what? You yeah. better cut that. No, 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 no. Leave it in. Leave it in. The people need to know. The fans need to know. So meanwhile, uh, the Browns don't turn on Paddington, which is good. You know, they don't. Uh, the only person being a prick about him is uh, Mr. Curry. Um, but everybody else, like the street is like, is just is reacting badly. The lady who he gave a sandwich to is grumpy because she doesn't eat. The uh, Sanjeev Baskar is locking his keys inside his house. And maybe the bin man might fail his exam to become a cabbie. It's all gone to shit. But uh, Lucy from Spaced and some major um, are helping them distribute pamphlets to uh, try and find evidence about this mystery, horrible bum. Anyway, yeah, all going to shit uh, on the outside. But then the Browns kind of discover that there's a secret to the pop-up book and a hidden fortune or something, so they're hot on the trail. Meanwhile, back inside, Paddington and Knuckles with an N, also, yeah, as I said, a Gleason idea, they make marmalade. But Knuckles lazes around and calls Aunt Lucy an old bag, landing him with the film's sole hard stare. Do you know about hard stares? I know about hard stares. That's good. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think that, I mean, that's a, a callback to the first film. It's all, yeah, it's, it's also a thing Paddington can do. It's, it's pretty much in the lore of Paddington. Is, is, that, is it? Is that something from the books? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's okay. real Paddington lore, the hard stare. Um, I guess a hard stare works a bit better in film than it does in, in, a, in a book. <laughs> must do, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it... it... What, wait, what, what are the Paddington books? They're like kind of comic-y book things? They're children's books? They're children's books, yeah. I can't, even, I can't recall, but I mean, what's the format? It's just kind of cartoon illustrated books i just have no real yeah. i definitely had paddington books when i was a kid i just can't recall them at all the one where he takes a the sequence where he takes a bath uh, in the first one is very much the kind of thing they'd get up to just uh, the bear making silly mistakes but he's so nice that's why the hard stare is important to the mythology because he needs what is it how does it put it like a hard stare is for somebody who's forgotten their manners which implies you know that the person is you know Probably a good person, as we find out Knuckles is, actually in an excellent uh, little burst of dialogue coming up soon. So, uh, yeah, like actually when <laughs> when he fixes uh, Knuckles with a hard stare, Paddington says the line, <laughs> Listen, Mr. Knuckles, I might look like a hardened criminal, but really, I, 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 which I thought was hilarious too. No, no, nothing from Andy, you fucking cold bastard. <laughs> Oh, hey. <laughs> I'm sorry that this doesn't do any. I'm just thinking. Okay, great. Yep, yep, that's good. <laughs> All right, I, it's for kids. I, that's nice. Okay, that's that's fine. The character is set up there as yeah. Uh, well, what I what I like about it, what I like about that scene is you see him start to get. You think he's going to get really angry and he's going to turn into turn into a bear and just tear Brendan Gleeson to shreds or something. <laughs> but in fact, in fact, he's just going to remind him that he needs to remember he his needs manners. To mind his manners. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which I think is is effective. Like the family guy gag of that scene is him tearing him to bits and it'll be like ha 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 but no, this ain't family guy and this ain't uh, Toy Story. Thank God. Yeah, you know. All right, so then the br- uh, outside uh, the Browns run into Simon Farnaby's uh, Barry who still uh, has a thing for men dressed as women and has stayed in the security business and saw Hugh Grant's unusually attractive nun. <laughs> <laughs> 
must have found that very funny. I wonder funny. whose idea that was. <laughs> I just wonder if that was uh, King or if that was Farnaby. That was Farnaby's idea to get him back in there. He was like vying for a part uh, for Barry because like, I wonder. And I wonder in the first one whose idea it was to uh, to have him be. Oh, I don't you know, know that. Sexu- sexually attracted to Hugh Bonville. It, that's a, dressed that, as like that's Mrs. a very Doubtfire. funny gag in in the first one. Uh, that sexy woman and the way he says it. Uh, even in this, uh, like uh, at the end, near the end of the scene, uh, Barry says, "Most beautiful woman I've seen for a long time." <laughs> See, that just makes me. I just it's my general kind of distaste for Simon Farnaby's characters. I, uh, I don't like it. You're don't not like it. You're not a fan of Simon Farnaby. Not a fan. Not a fan. Have you ever seen uh, Your Highness? No. The he's in that with uh, Franco and. Uh... Oh, Who else is in that? That's the weed smoking Dungeons and Dragons type. Yeah, thing. yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, he's in that playing more or less the same character. Mm. That was, I think, that was when it felt like he would maybe become a Hollywood star. It never really panned out, but no, I mean, I've... I just I don't like Simon Farnaby's characters. Ah, <laughs> oh, fair enough. Not even Barry. <laughs> I got a lot of love for Barry. Nah, nah. Uh, yeah, it's... Have you watched any it's of the, the uh, horrible histories or Yonderland or ghosts or any of those no. things? Me neither. Um, no. I understand that's his biggest uh, bread butterer. Right. But I've not seen any. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I like his writing. I think he's doing a great job with yeah. writing. He, um, I, and um, he co-wrote and um, co-starred in uh, Gillian Barrett's film Mindhorn. He was fine in that. Mm. Yeah, that was funny. I, I remember. You, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, that, was, that was solid enough. Anyway, inside the prison, uh, the marmalade has uh, revolutionized the prison and the first time they present it. What happens in the prison to me is basically what Paddington is all about. He just arrives and turns the place nice. Um, and what's particularly nice is the first time when they serve the, the um, uh, marmalade and we discover that like Knuckles' brutish ex- exterior is covering up for like paternal rejection or something but like you know he says my father i was set on a mountain nothing and he was right anyway they open the kitchen uh to all ideas and uh, people start making macarons and chocolate roulades and before we know it the warden begins reading them bedtime stories that is the effect of paddington and yeah and noah taylor is there but the, the the cast of prisoners inside is great that must have been great fun to film just arson around there with the CGI bear, admittedly. They didn't even have anybody like in a tennis ball suit or anything like that. They were just looking at a marker for Paddington. It's completely animated. I think that's that's one of the, the best parts of the films. I think the second film is better than the first for this, but he feel he has weight to him. The character of Paddington feels like he physically exists in mm. that world. Yeah. And I definitely although the second film had a lower budget, I think they were even in the four years in between the films, the the tech well, obviously got stronger. Mm. And uh, I think uh, what they were able to do is is more impressive. So I think that's going to carry on to Wonka. Yeah, and Paddington well. 3, which unfortunately think... Paul, Paul King oh. will be involved with. Fair play. Simon Farnaby will be writing, though. Um, so then we get a Visiting Day, which is a, an, another, like... Another very funny gag in the film where uh, the Browns are trying to show them the evidence they've gathered and all Paddington's prison friends gather up behind him and uh, Mr. Brown turns off the light and <laughs> like sounds off about all the prisoners. It's like, these people and that bearded baboon, he looks like he hasn't got two brain cells to rub together. And Brendan Gleeson goes, uh, uh, we can still hear you, Mr. Brown. You've turned off the light, which is quite funny. 
Yeah, and that's also the poster for the film, that right there, which I should get and put it on my wall. Ah. <laughs> then um, we've got a funny little scene where they're trying to investigate Phoenix Buchanan and they pretend it's an insurance investigation and Mr. Brown and Sally Hawkins are inside the house there. But during all their time when uh, they're investigating Phoenix Buchanan, they managed to miss a visiting day, which makes Paddington and then, by extension, Donica cry. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. When they missed the visiting day and Paddington's crying. But then pa- Paddington crying that time, because he thinks the Browns have forgotten about him, inspires um, Paddington to escape with Knuckles and the gang. So they get out, but Knuckles then, like a criminal, breaks his promise. Now, what happens with Knuckles between now and the end of the film echoes almost exactly the final arc of one of the most famous films of all time. Can you guess it? And which character? Uh... Paddington wants to clear his name, uh, but uh... Knuckles breaks his promise and says he's going to go off to France to make marmalade. He's going to continue just being a criminal instead of, instead of sticking with the good fight. I don't know. I can't think. What is it? He's Han Solo. Oh, really? Okay. That's not where I was thinking. In my head, I'm going like, is it the fugitive? Is it the outlaw Josie Wales? Is it something about like, like to double back for your partner or some shit? No, it's oh, okay. totally Han Solo, isn't it? Han Solo. Okay. He even flies in go. on a plane. Yeah, because of that part where uh, Luke Skywalker has to clear his name. No, because Luke Skywalker... of law. Because he's, he's all disappointed because Han is just going to go back to being a smuggler. Uh, he says to him, take care of yourself. I guess that's what you're best at. Uh, Han Solo should say, you know what, Luke, you're a little bitch. Fuck off. But anyway. Wait, I, it's been a long time since I've watched uh, episode four. So Han Solo just turns up at the end. Yeah, of... he swoops in when... Uh, right. when, when the... Yeah, and he like, shoots Vader or something. Uh, well, he takes care of one of the uh, TIE fighters that's on Luke Skywalker's tail, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, it. that's what it is. He just swoops in and, um, yeah, saves the day. It's great. Anyway, so, yeah, Knuckles breaks his promise, and he says he's going to bugger off to France. Uh, then, because they know it's something to do with the steam train, and they know that's when they can catch Felix Buchanan, we get a train chase, basically. And it's fun. It's loads of fun. The judge is there. He sees the bear crawling across between trains. The ladder gets a call back. Uh, the kid being into steam engines gets a call back. Uh, Mr. Brown throws a coconut at Phoenix Buchanan, which is a nice call back to his coconut days. Lucy takes a photo of him with the pop-up book, which gets which shows that he's the real criminal. And then Knuckles does his hand solo thing by swooping in and saving the day. And then we get this mad bit. Now tell me this didn't get to you emotionally, where it seems like Paddington's going to drown. Yeah, that's. I think my only problem with with the end of the film is. Whoa! I feel like that part. Yeah, I feel like the ending is. Although the ending's well earned, I think they could have milked it like a bit more. I just think the. How do you that, mean? The ending of how it's okay. So how it's wrapped up of Paddington. I don't know. Just the end of the train chase and Paddington goes flying off into the water, mm. and then he is rescued. He wakes up in in bed and they're like oh you're 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 not feeling well yeah and then from that moment to the ending is about a minute or two minutes i feel like they could have milked the ending a little bit more they could have got more out of of of, of aunt lucy turning oh up. i disagree also, i i gotta I, 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 so I, you, you yeah mm. I, let, I let me put so yeah in between so first of all 
Paddington almost drowns and uh, Knuckles gets there just in time, etc. And he's like, oh, yeah, they rescue him and he's feeling really bad. He's sick. Then he wakes up in bed. Now, Paddington's immediately disappointed with himself. Now, tell me, the second he wakes up, you you know Aunt Lucy's coming, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's why I want... So I don't this know. is I why this, to, this, I want to live in that moment a little more. Well, this is what I, I'm saying is like, yeah, you, I don't know. I have watched it a, a bunch of times and it has the same effect on me every time. Just from the moment he wakes up, I'm sobbing. And the re- See, I, I get I, the I, sweet. I, I re- never had that. I never had that at all. I get the sweet release of no longer sobbing where he. Well, actually, no. So. I'm sobbing even more when he hugs Aunt Lucy and he says happy birthday. Uh, the whole way up to the door, I can barely take it. And then Paul King and Simon Farnaby do us a real justice by giving us a mid-credit uh, sequence of Phoenix Buchanan getting a happy ending by putting on his one-man show in prison, uh, which I thought was thank you for doing that. Because I, can I can't imagine having to have left the cinema without the Phoenix Buchanan sequence. I would have just been destroyed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was definitely, that was necessary. It was necessary. To, that was my first fear that they weren't going to wrap that up. But the fact that they do have that mid-credit scene and also the fact that it's a big song and dance routine. Yeah, no, because you needed it because it's really just helps. like, but I mean, I, Andy, I've had twice ever in the cinema where I could hear people audibly crying. No, three times, actually. Uh, you were actually at one of them when we went to see A Monster Calls, which was just insane. Just hearing people just weeping because it was so packed as well. But the other one was Manchester by the fucking sea, and the, and then Paddington too. Just I, like in Yelmo Cinema here in Barcelona, I could just hear people weeping. Also heard a super like when Paddington flew into the water. I remember in the cinema, I, I just heard this little girl get up behind me like Paddington. I thought so into it, like you know what I mean. <laughs> I, I I almost yelled out Paddington. Anyway, look, yeah, I, I'm obviously a huge fan of this, but I'm also like. If you watch the evolution of uh, Paul King over those three films, he's really just fine-tuned into what he does. And I think you can see, see traces of it in Bunny and the Bull, even though most of Bunny and the Bull is irritating, in that, like, the film has an idea, the characters really, really serve that idea and are themselves through and through. Like, the like the Spanish chick from Bunny and the Bull is such a european hot chick crazy stereotype it's almost offensive yes you know <laughs> um and yeah fucking bunny is lads on tour and your man like your man is hawk is like a super sensitive it's not guy like bull term turnbull steve turnbull or something steve turnbull and he's like this super sensitive fella and then yeah in the same way like in the first Paddington film, you've got like Nicole Kidman just represents like just a horrible resentment. And, you know, she's annoyed at her father for not giving her blah, blah, blah. You know, everything like every character is themselves through and through and they serve a purpose. And I think it, that transpires perfectly in um, Paddington, too. I only hope that the Wonka origin story isn't such a, like it like is Wonka that lucrative of a property that Paul King wouldn't be allowed just to do his thing. Cause I think that's kind of the, one of the magics with Paddington was that like, you know, it's popular. It has a big legacy, but it's not fucking a Disney property, you know? Yeah. We'll see once uh, Simon Farnaby gets his knob out in Wonka. <laughs> one can only hope you've got nothing further to say on this one. You happy you saw it. Will you watch it again? I guess I, I'm not opposed to watching it. It is great. It's, it's a nice film, but I don't know. 
yeah, I, I will watch it eventually further down the line. I don't think I love it as much as you, but I still, it's it's a really, really nice can you, kids film. It has something for kids and adults. Can you see something? And it's no, just, it's, oh, go on. It's, it's beautiful. It is beautiful. Nothing, I was just going to say, it is, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Do you think it's, beautiful. it's set in the same universe as Ted Lasso? Yeah, I, I can see your connection between Ted Lasso and Paddington of these characters. That it, it makes you want to be a better person, but then it, you, if you wait a few seconds, you can just disregard <laughs> just disregard that silly notion. Get it out of your brain. Yeah, no, I, I was very it. lucky that um, when I was going to see Paddington, immediately after I was able to go into I Spit on Your Grave too. Um, and just thank you wash all that mushy marmalade nonsense out of my system and you know go and kill some teenagers Mm -hmm. yes all right time for a coin toss yes let us toss a coin yay what are you bringing to the table this week well uh, i was surprised by just how many films on ebert's list i'd seen including ones we watched for the podcast in the end, I decided to go for a film I've been putting off for a long time now, and that's Sento Chihiro no Kamikakushi. Have you seen that? No, I don't think I have. It's it's uh it's also known as Spirited Away, the 2001 Miyazaki film. Ah, oh, right. Okay. Yes, I've seen that many times. <laughs> <laughs> I've what seen. Do you, what are you bringing? I've seen, I've yeah, seen that like, a lot of times. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Sorry, I never watched it. It's okay. It's okay. It's a great film. Okay. Well, I brought one that I have never seen, and I didn't bother to learn in its original language, and that is Vim Vender's 1987 film Wings of Desire. Ah. Ever seen that? I haven't. No, I haven't. So good. All right. I believe you're tossing this week, Sunshine. Okay, I have a very small coin. It is a 10 cent coin. So one side is 10 and the other side appears to be a face of a lady or a man with long hair. A man with long hair, I'm going to go with. It is 10. My apologies. Spirited away it is. Spirited away. I will. It's excellent. Okay, good. All right. Well, until that time. What's the criteria? Oh, my criteria is uh, something that was nominated for Worst Picture at the Razzies over the years. <laughs> Yay. Okay. Outstanding. Yay. I, although, to be honest, knowing what the people who run the Razzies are like, I'm sure they have chosen. I'm sure they nominated things that were actually pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There Without a doubt. Decent Without a doubt. Yeah. We might end up watching Waterworld. Bitter pricks. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. I'll do that. All right. But unfortunately, um, I've seen it. Yeah, which violates the rules. Damn. All right. Well, okay. In that case, I'll see you fuckers next week. Bye, Andy. I love you. Bye. Love you too. Bye. Listen to the rain on the roof go. Pit, pity, pat. Pit, pity, pat. Pit, Sit, kitty, cat. We won't get home for